I doubt if there are few, if any, and probably there's no one in here today that has not heard the name Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods burst onto the golf scene in 1996 after winning three AAU uh, U.S. Amateur titles. And then as a sophomore at Stanford University, he won the NCAA Individual Golf Championship. Following his sophomore year at Stanford, he left college to become a professional golfer. And right away, he signed the most lucrative deals ever at a time for a golfer with both Nike and Titleist. Woods was named Sports Illustrated's 1996 Sportsman of the Year and the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. And quickly he ascended to number 33 in the world rankings. The following year, he won his first Masters tournament by 12 strokes, setting a, a new record for the largest margin of victory. He also set a new 72-hole record with a complete score of 270. He would go on to win four major PGA, PGA events that year en route to becoming the youngest, he was 21, and the quickest, only 42 weeks, to becoming the number one ranked golfer in the world. And for several years after that, Tiger Woods knew nothing but the thrill of victory. But in November of 2009, all of that changed with his precipitous and ugly fall from glory. The National Enquirer published a story claiming that Woods had an extramarital affair with a New York City nightclub manager. Two days later, he was driving from his mansion in Florida in his Cadillac Escalade when he collided with a fire hydrant and a tree and several hedges as he was nearing his home. And if you know the story, you know that his wife came and pulled him out of the vehicle. Several claims by additional women quickly mounted in the next few weeks, prompting Tiger Woods to take an indefinite break from professional golfing. He checked into a sex rehab clinic in December. In the meantime, he lost some lucrative 
endorsement deals with Accenture, AT&T, Gatorade, General Motors, and Gillette. And just like that, the sweet taste of victory became the bitter taste of defeat. But just a couple of weeks ago, April the 14th to be exact, the world witnessed what many in the media called a comeback for the ages. As Tiger Woods calmly two-putted on the 18th green at the Augusta National Golf Club for a one-shot victory in the 83rd Masters Golf Tournament. It was his fifth green jacket and his elusive 15th major. And once again, Tiger Woods experienced the thrill of victory. I'm going to invite you this morning to join me once again in the book of Joshua, this time in chapter 8. If you've not been with us, we have been in a study on Sunday mornings from the book of Joshua in conjunction with our theme, Forward. Because really that's what the book of Joshua is about. It's about the people of God moving forward and the victories that they win along the way. But it also chronicles for us some of the struggles that they've had and some of the difficulties that they've encountered. What we've learned of the life of Joshua and the Israelites is not too unlike that of Tiger Woods. First, there was the thrill of victory as they crossed the flooded Jordan River on dry ground. And then they saw victory again. They tasted a victory once more as they watched the complete and utter destruction of the unconquerable fortress known as Jericho. And at that point, really, the sweet odor of victory permeated the camp of Israel. But that was to be short-lived as the thrill of victory turned to the agony of defeat because of the sin of one man named Achan. If you remember, God had instructed the Israelites, now when you go into Jericho, anything that you see of gold or silver or brass or iron, that belongs to me. I want you to take that. Don't keep anything for yourselves. I want you to take that, and I want you to bring that into the treasury of the Lord. The instructions were clear. But yet Achan sinned by taking of those things that, that belonged to God, and it cost him. But it not only cost him 
it cost others as well. Later, 36 men died because of Achan's sin. That means 36 wives became widows. An untold number of children just like that became fatherless. It even led to Achan's own death and to the death of his family as well. I'll say it again, what I said a couple of weeks ago. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Shortly after the victory at Jericho, Joshua sent about 3,000 of his men to conquer the little city of Ai. But what should have been a sure victory over a much smaller army turned into an unexpected and humiliating defeat for Israel and their leader, Joshua. And that brings us to our focus this morning here in Joshua chapter 8. What do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when the thrill of victory has turned to the agony of defeat? How do you begin again? Can you begin again? I mean, seriously, is that even a possibility? How does a man who's blown it as a husband and or father begin again? How does a woman who's blown it as a wife or as a mother how does she begin again? How does a teenager who's really, really messed up begin again? Can the person who promised God and perhaps their family that they would never do something again, yet they do it again, Can they begin again? Can a Christian who's walked away from God begin again? Can a family that's been broken pick up the pieces and begin again? I'm excited to stand here today and tell you that the answer is a resounding yes. You can begin again. Did you hear me? You can begin again. And with the Lord's help, I want to show you some steps to take in order to do that. 
And they're found right here in our text from Joshua chapter 8. So let's begin reading in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given it into the hand, or excuse me, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and to her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Now notice this. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee in ambush for the city behind it. Let me stop right there and just... just Make this observation. If Achan would have waited, if Achan would not have given in to lust and to covetousness and to selfishness and to pride, 36 men would still be alive, 36 women would still be married, countless numbers of children would still have their daddies. Because God was going to give Achan and the rest of Israel, blessings. All he said was, don't do anything right now. I've got a plan. Achan, just trust me. And if he would have just waited, I'm guessing he would have gotten more from Ai than he ever got from Jericho. So Joshua rose, verse 3, and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men, mark that, men of valor, and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, And it shall come to pass when they come out against us, as at the first, that we will flee before them. For they will come out after us, till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they flee before us, as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush, and seize upon the city, For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it shall be, verse 8, and it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord shall shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. Do you see the strategy there? Joshua said, I want 30,000 of you men to hide in the rocks and the hills behind the city of Ai. Don't go very far. Stay close, but conceal yourself. Stay hidden. And then he said, me and, and, and some others, we're going to attack Ai from the front. And here's what's going to happen. When they see us coming, they're going to run out of the city, and they're going to meet us, and they're going to want to do war with us. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn around and start running the other way, like happened the last time. And so in their minds, they're going to be thinking, well, well, those idiots, they're running away again. 
And, and all of the men of war of Ai, they're going to run after us. And if you go on and read the story, there came a time when uh, Joshua gave the signal for the 30,000 men in the rear to attack the city. And the signal was uh, Joshua would hold his spear high. And when they saw that, those 30,000 men were now going to run into the unprotected city of Ai and destroy it. That's what we just read. Now, the following verses down through verse 29 is Joshua and the children of, of Israel doing exactly what God told them to do. Now, let's pick it up in verse 30. You still with me? Verse 30, then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in, in Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lifted up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well the stranger as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not, before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Now let's go back and let's see what we can glean this morning about beginning again. And here's the first thing. Here's where I want to start today. And it's simply this. God never forsakes the fallen. He never forsakes the fallen. Chapter 8 opens with God speaking to Joshua and saying to him, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Don't be cast down. Don't be discouraged. Joshua, listen, son, don't lose heart. After we've blown it, the devil loves to come up close to us and whisper in our ear, it's over. You're done. You're through. You're worthless. God's done with you. You will never amount to anything. Just give up. The devil would like nothing more than to convince you this morning that you can't begin again. Because the damage is too great. The brokenness is too severe. The hurt is too deep. The pain is too much. And he fills our hearts with fear to the point 
that we're even afraid to try to begin again because we don't want to let God down again. We don't want to let ourselves down again. We don't want to let our loved ones down again. We don't want to hurt our family again. We don't want to hurt God again. We don't want to hurt church again. We don't want to hurt ourselves again. Listen to me, please, this morning. Don't let fear of another failure prevent you from beginning again. I love what Alexander White said. He said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. He may be thinking, Pastor, new beginnings? Yes, absolutely. Now granted, there's shame in falling. There's shame in failing. But understand this this morning. The greater shame is not getting up. The greater shame is not having the courage to begin again. Don't let the fear of future failure keep you from getting up and moving forward for the Lord. But pastor, what if, I, what if I fall again? Get up again. And again. And again. And again. Because here's what you're going to find true. You're going to find that the next time you fall, if you fall again, you're going to be farther along than, than you were when you fell last time. And so you're just going to get up, and by the grace of God, you're going to dust yourself off, and you're going to find grace and courage to start again, and you're going to start again. And and listen, reality tells us you may fall again, but you're going to be farther this time than you were the last time or the time before that. And I'm telling you, there will come a time in your life when you once and for all win the victory over whatever it is that's tripping you up. But you've got to be convinced today, God is not through with you. God has not written you off. And then once you've gotten up, and you're going that you're going again. Listen, this is so important. Number two, you must recommit yourself to a life of obedience. The key to Israel's conquest at this point in their history, it wasn't because they were stronger and mightier and smarter and more skilled or better armed. No, the key to their victory at this point was because of their obedience to the Word of God. They successfully crossed Jordan on dry ground because they obeyed the Word of God. They were victorious at Jericho because they obeyed God's word. But they lost. They were defeated at Ai because they didn't obey God's word. 
at the root, listen, at the root of all of our spiritual failures is sin. Not obeying God's word. The cause of your last failure as a husband or a wife was disobedience to God's word. And thus you were prideful or harsh or hateful or angry or selfish or unforgiving or unfaithful. The cause of your last failure as a Christian man was disobedience to the Word of God. And you gave in to lust, or to greed, or to anger, or to laziness, or to dishonesty, or to impulsiveness. The same goes for Christian women. They fail because they don't obey God's Word. And, and so they harbor things like, like bitterness and unforgiveness. And they gossip. And they say hateful things. And they curse. And they covet. Yeah, Pastor, you're right. That's me. But I'm telling you, it's my husband's fault. No, ma'am. It is not your husband's fault. It's your fault. Because you're not obeying the word of God. Preacher, that's right. She needs to hear that. Okay, bucko, listen up. It's not her fault. Come on. It's not her fault. Yeah, but she, stop it. Doesn't matter what she did or what she didn't do or what she said or what she didn't say. Obey the word of God. And let God deal with the rest of it. Your spiritual failure and my spiritual failure is because we disobey the word of God. Wherewithal or how in the world can a young man or an old man or a middle-aged man or woman, how can we cleanse our way? How can we be right with God? How can we stay right with God? Look at the answer. By taking heed thereto according to thy what, church? Thy word. David understood the importance of God's word in his life and his obedience to it. And he wrote this in Psalm 119 and verse 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. We cannot, cannot live a victorious Christian life. I'm talking about a, a life that's going forward consistently for God without living in obedience to this book. Well, preacher, I just don't get it. I just, man, I just keep messing up. That's because you're not in this book. Well, preacher, I read it every day. But do you practice it every day? It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to practice it. 
That's why David also said in, in, in uh, Psalm 119, he said this, Thy word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Listen to me listen to today, church. If you want to keep going forward for God and stop falling and failing, then live by the light of God's word. Look at verse 8 again. And it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire. Look at this church. According to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. Here's what God said to Joshua. Joshua, if you want to win again, then you do what I tell you to do. Remember what God said to Joshua way back at the beginning of our series, way back at the opening of Joshua chapter 1? He said this, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to what? Come on, observe to what? Do, do, according to all that is written therein, for then... When you start doing what I tell you to do, when you start practicing my word, when you become a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. And I'll add this, until then, you're going to be a frustrated Christian. You're going to be a frustrated husband. You're going to be a frustrated wife. You're going to be a frustrated parent. You'll not enjoy good success in the Christian life until, until you learn to live according to the Word of God. If you want to begin again, then you must recommit yourself as a husband, as a wife, as a child. As a parent, as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, to a life of obedience to God's Word. Preacher, what's that look like? If God says do it, say it, or think it, then do it, say it, and think it. If God says don't do it, don't say it, don't think it, then don't say it. Don't do it. Don't think it. If you want to begin again, if you want to get back to where you once were, when you had a heart for God and for the things of God and for the house of God, when you were experiencing real joy in the Lord, when your relationships were, were all intact, when, when there was joy and peace and harmony at home, back when you could pillow your head at night with a clear conscience, when you were able to enjoy life without the aid of drugs or alcohol, when your parents could trust you, 
If you want to get back to that time in your life, then you must recommit yourself to a life of obedience. That is the only way. I certainly do not know all of the details as they relate to your latest personal spiritual failure. But I can tell you when it began, without fail. It began when you started living in disobedience to the Word of God. I don't know what that looked like for you, but I know that's when it started. When you ignored the clear teaching of Scripture and did what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do, that's when it started. So I want to encourage you today. Number one, please get this. God has not forsaken you. Oh, but preacher, you don't know how far this fall was. I don't care how far the fall was. You cannot fall far enough to be out of the reach of God's good grace. Amen. That's where I want you to start today. God has not given up on you. He has not written you off. And then number two, once you get up and you've embraced that truth and you're going again, recommit yourself to a life of obedience to this book. And then here's the last thing. You must, I must, we must remain vigilant. We must remain vigilant. Look at verse 3. And Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor. How many, how many men did Joshua send to Ai? Somebody tell me. 3,000. How many did he send the second time? 30,000. Ten times more men. You know why? Because he was not going to make the same mistake twice. I would submit to you that the reason we fail multiple times in our attempts to live for the Lord is that we don't remain vigilant and we keep making the same mistakes. We go weeks, maybe months, life's good and then we let our guard down. And like AI in the first battle, listen to me, when we do that, the devil takes advantages of our mistakes every time. That's why Peter wrote in the New Testament, the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he wrote this, be sober, that means serious-minded. Don't be flippant, don't relax. Be sober, be what church? Be vigilant. And here's why. Because your adversary, which is who? The devil. 
like a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I could preach a whole message on that verse. I know that because I have. But I'll not do it today. But listen to me this morning. Would you please look at me? Give me your eyes. The devil is real. And he's ruthless. And he's heartless. And he's cunning. And he's lying in wait. You hear me? He's watching. He's lying in wait. He's watching for that one, that one opening that we give him to wreak havoc in our lives. I want you to listen to these words from a writer named Arthur Pink. He wrote this, Great care needs to be taken and honesty exercised upon this point. For while on the one hand, the word makes it very plain that Satan tempts and assaults the saints, on the other hand, we are all too prone to father upon him our own sinful brats. The devil can gain no advantage over us without our own consent. And therefore, whenever we yield to his seductions, the fault and guilt are ours. And instead of blaming Satan, we must unsparingly condemn ourselves and confess the same to God. Bridget, what did he just say? He said this, the devil made me do it is not an acceptable excuse. Because we cannot father upon him our own sinful brats. We must place the blame squarely on the shoulders of the one who is to blame for our failure. And that's us. It's us. Paul gave some great instruction in Romans chapter 13. He said, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust." thereof listen if you know where it was or when it was or what it was you said or did or what it was that led to your most recent failure then do not listen do not put yourself in that situation again Listen, we're just being practical today. Do not put yourself in that situation again. If that means changing friends, then do it. 
If that means changing your television viewing or your internet usage, then do it. If it means deleting ah, all of your social media apps, then do it. If it means taking a different route to and from work, then do it. Listen to me. Whatever it takes to slam the door on the devil, do it. Do it. Let's go to the closing verses of chapter 8. We okay today? I'm just trying to help you. I want to touch very briefly on verses 30 through 35. I'll not take long, so please stay with me. Joshua was instructed, the children of Israel were instructed, back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. We don't have time to go back there. But Moses told them, when you you get into the land, here's what I want you to do. And, and he tells them what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to, to go to the, the valley where, where, where Shechem was. And on one side was Mount Ebal. And on the other side was Mount Gerizim. And, and he instructed them, I, I want six of the tribes of Israel to, to be stationed on Mount Gerizim. And I want six of the other tribes to be stationed on the Mount Ebal. And I want Moses to stand in the middle, I would presume. And I want Moses to read this list of cursings. And I want Moses... And I, or, I want, I want read this list of cursings, and I want read this list of blessings. And if Israel chose the way of blessing, then they were blessed. If they chose the way of cursing, well, they were cursed. It was their choice. And there's probably a lot more in there, but here's what I, here, here's what I wanna, want you to get today. Here's the deal. This was a time of recommitment for them. And I believe that this day could be a day of recommitment for you. you'll just have the courage to begin again. Maybe you need to recommit yourselves as a husband and wife to doing marriage God's way. Now listen, I said husband and wife. Listen, if, if, if you're going to do it right, you both have to be on the same page. This page. This page. Maybe you need to recommit yourself as a parent to leading and loving your children God's way. Maybe as a teenager, you need to recommit yourself this morning to a life of honor and respect toward your parents. Maybe you need to recommit yourself as a church member to serving the Lord faithfully and consistently. 
Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're one of the hundreds of, of ministry volunteers we have at Fellowship Baptist Church. And maybe you need to come today and just recommit yourself to that ministry. Maybe as a Christian, you need to recommit to a time of daily devotion. Maybe you've let some things slip in your life. And today would be a good day to come and recommit yourself to a life of holiness. Whatever the situation is, I've got good, good news. You can begin again. And it can start today on your knees before the Lord. And he'll meet you there. Would you bow your heads? You don't have to wait for me to pray to come. If God's spoken to your heart, you can come right now. Because you know there are some areas in your life where you need to seriously Get back to living the way God says to live. And you need to recommit to a life of obedience to God's Word. And even at that, you fail to remain vigilant in your marriage. You fail to remain vigilant as a parent, as a, as a teenager. Maybe even as recent as this last week, you said some things that hurt, caused so much damage. And today you would come and say, God, God, I blew it. Lord, how can I ever be what you've called me to be? Number one, remember he still loves you. He hasn't forsaken you. Recommit your life to a life of obedience to God's Word. And then remain vigilant. Father, thank you for the 